0: Imagine you've witnessed a car crash. Here's a big one. You call Triple O and, and you do what you can to help those in trouble, the police and the ambulance. They come, they get things under control. People are taken to hospital and uh, then the scene settles down. And the, uh, the police come over to you. You were the prime witness of what just happened. Uh, you were the one who saw something significant. And they ask you, what happened? How did it happen? So you tell them, I had the best spot to watch what happened. I was on top of this hill over there. Uh, I was sitting down. I was having this awesome chocolate chip muffin. It was, uh, it was incredible, and just it's a great coffee. Uh, and the, the policewoman starts kind of tapping her foot at that point. Uh, eventually, she says, uh, And... And you go, uh, I I had my glasses on. So I could see things so clearly. Uh, I I could just see it all. And and it all started when I was at work today. I went to work today. And, you know, I don't normally go outside for lunch. I normally go to the lunchroom and I'll just have like a um, Nescafe Bloom 43 coffee. But today I thought, no, today what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a coffee. I'm really going to spend up. I'm going to buy a coffee and I'm going to get one of those great chalk chip muffins um, after lunch. And, like, I'm on a diet, you know. Um, but this was a treat. This was a real treat. Um, what, what's the problem here? They're not telling the story. They're not bearing witness. You know, if you're a witness, it's not about you. It's it's not really about you and what you're doing, it's about what you've seen. You know, good witnesses don't draw attention to themselves, do they? They draw attention to the thing that they've seen. And last week, what we looked at um, in John was we saw how John the Baptist didn't draw attention to himself. He didn't do that. He was a witness to Jesus, and he worked really, really hard to not soak up any attention because all of the attention he wanted to go to Jesus himself. And this week we're actually going to see what John the Baptist is drawing people's attention to. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to open those up to John chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to start it. John chapter 1, verse 29. John 1.29, the next day, John the Baptist, that's who the he is, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. All right, let's kick in. Here's the, the first thing that I think we see in this passage here is uh, we see a good witness. All right, you see John the gospel writer uh, talking about John the Baptist bearing witness. This is the essence and the purpose of John the Baptist's life, to bear witness to Jesus. I mean, you will see the whole way through the gospel of John, John the gospel writer also doing a similar thing and saying, here's a witness to who Jesus is because he wants you to know who Jesus is. He wants you to have certainty about that. John the Baptist is the first in a long line of witnesses to the person of Jesus. Well, what makes him a good witness? Well, what makes him a good witness is he doesn't get in the way. (laughs) He doesn't get in the way. Because here's the reality. A good witness provides a clear line of sight to what they've seen. That's what a good witness actually does. This is why humility is such a central thing to being a good witness, Because it's not about you. It's not about the fact that you're on a diet. It's not about the fact that you splurged on a particular day and you saw this big car accident. It's about what you saw. That's what it's about. I mean, rather than being passionate about getting in the way, you would really easily be able to conclude from the stuff that we read about John the Baptist that he's passionate about getting out of the way. That's, That's what he wants to do. And sometimes, let's be honest about it, God's called all of us to be witnesses and sometimes we get in the way don't we and it's like looking through a windscreen like that you know there's people that need to see Jesus and sometimes we can just kind of get in the way a bit and let me just because you've asked uh, let me give you four ways I think that we can that was a joke Uh, four ways that we can get in the way all right you ready here's the first one you will get in the way of being a good witness if you think it all depends on you. If you get in the place where you just go, it's all about my delivery and how I cash it out, you're going to get in the way. (laughs) Now, delivery matters. And we want to be as clear as we can. But at the end of the day, heart change in people, which is what we're gunning for, doesn't depend ultimately on delivery. I remember talking with one of my mates in uh, Sydney years ago when I lived there and uh, I had had this conversation with someone who didn't know Jesus and I wanted them to know Jesus uh, because I love Jesus and I thought Jesus and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus I want you to know Jesus because Jesus is is amazing right He's with me on that yeah he's amazing you got to get to know him like if you knew him you go why didn't I do this sooner and here I am having this conversation with this guy and I'm I end up talking to my mate about it afterwards. I said, mate, and I said, here's the thing. I said, I just made a complete hash of it, all right? Not the drug sense, all right? Just a, a mess of it, okay? I made a complete hash of it. And you know what my mate said to me? it's kind of an encouragement and a slap down at the same time. He goes, well, God used a donkey in the Old Testament. I think it'll be all right. <laughs> That's what he said. And do you know I'd say that to you? Don't get too concerned about delivery that you don't say anything or you even just get worried about the fact that you made a hash of it. Just say something because God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. All right, here's here's a second way that I think we can get in the way and obscure things, um, feeling like we have to close the deal, right? It's like, oh, someone brought up Jesus in a conversation and in 15 minutes I've got to go from someone not knowing much about Jesus to bowing down on the floor with their knees on the ground saying the sinner's prayer um i this is a massive one for the church um there is this unspoken pressure in some um bits of the church um that we have to end up here and if we haven't ended up there in 15 minutes like we've fallen short of the mark now sometimes that might happen but i i can't i couldn't find it but years ago i heard some research about how many uh, significant engagements that people who don 't know Jesus need to have with a Christian before they actually seriously consider faith and it 's like it was like it was huge it was like ten or fifteen or something like that so here 's the bottom line if if that 's right, then it 's probably not going to happen for you <laughs> when you talk to someone okay and i think I think you should be pretty chill about that um, there's there 's a guy like seriously. There's a guy, Greg Kokel, he's an American guy and um, you you should look his stuff up. He's got a Talkback Radio program, but he's got this line that he uses where he talks about talking to people who don't know Jesus and he goes, I just want to put a stone in their shoe. That's all I want to do. Give them something that they can go away and think about, a stone in their shoe that they're going to keep coming back to. And you know, I think uh, ever since I heard him say that, I thought, yeah, I could do that. I could have a conversation and, and say something, hopefully, that's helpful, that we're just going to stick in their shoe, and when they walk around, they'll just keep remembering it. So let so me encourage you. You don't have to close the deal. You don't have to close the deal. You seem to chip in. And who knows? God might use you to harvest uh, some people who are ready to give their lives to Jesus, but um, don't, don't let the pressure of that cloud your, uh, your witness. Fourth one, going silent. Pretty clouded at that point if you don't say anything. <laughs> All right. Um, so sometimes, oh, let's just be honest. Sometimes our witness is dis, is obscured because we just don't say anything. the uh, The classic line of Saint Francis of Assisi was, uh, "Preach the gospel if necessary, use words." Now, he never said it. It gets attributed to him, and he, but he never said it. Right and. My research shows that he was actually from a preaching order in the church at that point in time. So do you think someone from a preaching order would say something like that? I don't think so. And and besides, what does the word gospel actually mean in the Greek? Does anyone know? Good news. What do you do with news? You tell it. It's what you do. So sometimes I think our, our witness can be obscured because we go silent okay so just just be on guard about that one here's the last one sometimes our witness can be obscured because our life is actually indistinguishable from other people's now you couldn't accuse John the Baptist of this could you right he looked like a Jedi probably right he had this camel's hair kind of garment a leather belt and he ate Grasshoppers and wild honey, basically, is what he did, right? Now, everyone's just going, what the heck is going on there, right? Um, now, I'm not saying that you need to do that. That would be weird, right? And if everyone comes dressed as Jedi's next week, that would be weird. I would be weirded out, right? I'd go, what is going on with you? But there's something, there's something in that, I think. Um, I don't know. At least he was different, Right? I mean, you have to be weird different, but at least he was different. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always, listen to this, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? If, if you look like you have the same hope as everyone else, no one's going to ask you. <laughs> okay? They just just won't because they go, huh, he or she, I've got the same hope as me. They don't need to work that out. But if you operate differently, if your life is distinguishable from others rather than indistinguishable from others, guess what's going to happen? People are going to ask you about your hope because it's different and it doesn't make sense. Could it be that there are times people don't ask you About the hope within you because your hope looks the same as theirs. Number two, a powerful witness. Have a look at um, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What makes someone's witness powerful? Well, it isn't necessarily the person who is the witness that makes it powerful, though boldness and clarity can be really helpful if you're a witness. It's what they're a witness to. Now, let me tell you something I was witness to today on the way to the car. Oh, this was amazing. I got to my shed where the car was. I'd, I'd already pressed the button to open the garage door, and I looked down as I was walking through the shed, into the shed, and there was an ant walking on the concrete. Now, you should be going, come on, mate, seriously. I mean, that happens all day long. I I walk on them. Um, You you would not think that I was a powerful witness because I was witness to an ant walking on some concrete. Um, here's, Here's the essence of what I'm saying. The power of a witness is connected to what they've seen, not to who they are. The power of a witness is connected to what they've seen, not who they are. Now, What was John the Baptist witness to? Well, he was witness to Jesus. But not just the person. He bore witness to who Jesus was, what his main task was, and what his mission was. What was Jesus' main task and mission? John says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world now if, uh, if uh, the power of a witness is connected to what they've seen then there may not be any more powerful witness who has ever lived than John the Baptist massive this is incredible this is not an ant walking on concrete is it and the, the strange and the sad thing is sometimes in the church we just get so used to it you know Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There is no more significant event that's happened in the history of humanity than that. Nothing. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, every single bad thing in our world is downstream from the first sin. You know, we use the term, don't open Pandora's box. You know, Pandora in Greek mythology was a woman created by the Greek gods and she had this jar and it contained all manner of misery and evil. So when we say, don't open Pandora's box, it's like, don't open that up because all manner of misery and evil are going to come out. But that's exactly what humanity did way back in the very beginning when we decided we wanted to opt for our own way instead of God's way. We opened Pandora's box and every single evil, bad, painful, suffering thing that happens in our world is all downstream of that moment. Sin was the fruit of our separation from God and sin is a massive problem. You know, if you stop long enough to consider how widespread sin and evil is and its effects, it will get pretty dark. The uh, first chapter in the book that I'm writing was all about death and how death is the ultimate dehumanization of humanity. It, It literally disintegrates us physically. But it also seeds death all over the place. And we see metaphorically death all over the place. And there was a point at which, when I'm writing this thing, I, I just the darkness of it just got on top of me. And I went out to I started getting emotional. And I'm just going, This is this is gritty. Some of the stuff that happens in the world from if there's such a thing, garden variety evil, right through to the most heinous evil, is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. We all sit here, middle class, by and large, Toowoomba, Highfields people, sanitized environment. We do. I'm not saying we don't have a taste of evil, but there is like evil, evil in the world, you know? And it's bad. I wrote a uh, blog that went out in the weekly update about this, but I've got this strange liturgy that has developed in my life. uh, Our rubbish truck comes on uh, Thursday mornings, and um, usually it comes when I'm reading the Bible and praying and worshiping and that sort of stuff. And uh, whenever it comes to our house, I stop reading the Bible and worshiping and praying, and I look at the truck, right, because I've got undiagnosed ADD, um, and there 's something else happening somewhere else, so you have to watch it right so I sit there and I watch, and i watch as the as our wheelie bin gets lifted up and dumped in the truck, and all of the rubbish from the sondergeld house gets dropped into the truck and you know what I think maybe you wouldn 't do this, but this is letting you know insights into my head right so you know i 'll probably your cleansing later, but i i just i think um imagine if the rubbish truck didn't come and take it away. What if it just laid around the house? The rotting leftover fruit and vegetables, the, the wrappers, the food wrappers, the stuff that we bought, all of that stuff. What, what would happen? Well, it would just accumulate. It would get stinky. But it doesn't. Why doesn't it? Because every week... The garbage man comes and he takes our rubbish away. That's what happens. And so as I'm sitting there and I'm having my devotions in the morning, I start thinking about Jesus. And I start, this, this literally has been a developing thing for me. Uh, and I go, Jesus is my divine garbage man. And he, he comes every week, every day, every minute, whenever there's rubbish in my life, whenever there's rubbish in my soul rotting, stinky rubbish I can go to him and I can say sorry to him and he is the divine garbage man that takes it away and you know what happens I stay clean I get clean that's what happens see this is this is what we need we need and I don't mean any disrespect to Jesus but we need a divine garbage man don't we that's what confession is if you don't confess every time you sin look A guy said to me a few years ago, he goes, you know, you should just every night when you're lying in bed before you go to sleep, you should confess your sins and ask God to forgive you. And it's like, if you've got specifics, go to the specifics. If you're not, just do a general confession. (laughs) Like, I'm sure I blew it today. Can you just clean me up? Can you take my garbage away? Because sin is toxic stuff, right? It actually wages war against you. 1 Peter 2 verse 11, uh, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wages war against your soul. If you, if you feel like life's a battle and there's a war going on inside of you, that's because there is. That's because there is. Your evil desires and, the, and sin actually wants to get after you and wreck your life. John Owen said, uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's what he said. Um, and, And you just need to know, sin is about death, and it works to kill everything. Innocence, relationships, physically killing people, it kills initiative, kills love, kills justice. We could just go on and on and on. What's the point? You need sin to be taken away from you sin and guilt are partners in crime here's another reason why you need sin to be taken away from you who here likes to feel guilty like you get up in the morning and you go you know I I don't feel very guilty and I just hope some more comes today no one ever does that right no one ever does it it's horrid when you feel guilty you just want to get rid of it and you just need to know sin and guilt run together Sometimes they can be delayed because sometimes we can do things and we may not know that it's actually sin until later on. But any time where you've sinned, where you've done the wrong thing and you know it, you can expect to feel some guilt. If you, like me, feel guilt from sinning, you know that sin needs to be taken away from you. It just does. And then, I mean, we could go on and on. A shame... Is sin's handmaiden. Um, What's a handmaiden? A female servant who serves their mistress. Sin corrupts your innocence, it makes you guilty, and then shame isolates you and locks you in. You're worthless, dirty, defiled, and unworthy of anything good. You don't even deserve to come out. You should just stay home. Don't even talk. You're pathetic. the tricky thing about shame and the way that sin works with shame is it's not that someone else is doing it to you, it's that you're doing it to yourself. I could go on and on and on about why you need sin taken away from you. It makes a mess of everything. Now, have you ever had that experience, this is weird, right? It's my imagination again. Have you ever had an experience like cold winter's day and you're out there and someone's turned the hose on and that hose is just going like that and it's flicking everywhere and like you're getting this freezing, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You get this freezing cold water on you and you're just going, get that thing away from me. Just get it away from me. This is kind of the, this is how we need to um, think about sin. It's like just get it away from me. You know, maybe not a hose. Maybe it's a rabid dog that just comes at you and bites pieces of your arms and legs out. Maybe that's a better metaphor for what sin actually does. Um, But we all should just be going, just get it away from me. Get, Get that thing away from me. Well, I've got good news for you. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is there any more sublime statement than that? Now, before we um, move on to the last point, <laughs> oh, look, don't think that this lamb is pathetic, right? Don't think it's pathetic. This lamb does not have a supply issue in terms of carrying away the sins of the world. doesn't have a back problem because this lamb doesn't just take away just the sins of one person this lamb takes away the sins of the world amazing isn't it takes takes it away you know um you go to Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Well, surprise, surprise. I mean, the Old Testament people, they had the sacrificial system and there was a faith thing in there and it's like you go and you sacrifice your animals. and But then we find out in... Um, Later on in Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats never actually took away sin, so it, was a, it didn't quite get the job done. And then you just kind of go, oh, maybe God just magically does it. He just kind of takes away sin magically, clicks his fingers, and it goes away. And it's like, no, no, none of that. The person of Jesus comes to the, comes to the earth, takes on human flesh, and he, in person, carries our sins away from us. Amazing. Here's where we finish uh, today. Unstoppable. Have a look at John 1 verse 32 to 33. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, "He on, he, on him you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's... What's John the Baptist saying? He's going, I watched and the Holy Spirit came down, looked like a dove and it sat on Jesus. I don't mean literally sat, but it came down and it rested on Jesus. What is that? Well, if you don't know, um, the Bible teaches that there's one God, but in one God there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes down and sits and rests on Jesus. And you might go, well, what does he do? Well, let me tell you what he does. Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Look at this. This is Acts 10 verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what happened? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit made that happen. Look at this prophecy from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a... Shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Talking about Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Is anyone thinking it's good to have the spirit? You better. Isaiah sixty-one-one. The spirit of the Lord is Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. How? The Spirit of the Lord. And here's here's the kicker for us, and this is uh, is where uh, I'm going to finish. Jesus didn't stop with him having the Spirit, this is what John the Baptist is saying. Jesus came so that you would have the Spirit, so that you would be baptized by the Spirit, that He would be in you. This is the prophecy from Ezekiel, right? In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, listen to this, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stain from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus came so that you would get in contact with the divine spirit. That's why he came. And do you know what the spirit does? The spirit leads you into infinite divine resources. Did you hear that? Not just lame, what can I see around me to kind of help my life work. If you have given your life to Jesus, the first baptism of the Spirit, and this is what we teach at the project, I don't have time to go into all the theological justification. The first baptism of the Spirit is when you give your life to Jesus and He comes into your life in that moment, right? But we also believe uh, from Scripture that there are other times where you get boosts by the Spirit, and it's possible. And likely, and has actually happened, that God baptizes people by the Spirit after they're saved and gives them a boost to do the things that He's called them to do. Is there anyone here who would like some infinite spiritual resources? <laughs> Is there anyone here who's facing something at the moment and God's calling you in a direction and you just go, I can't get there, because you can't. But you'd like some infinite spiritual resources to do it. This is a weird statement to put up right now, but I'm just going to go with it. Uh, the last one standing is normally the winner. <laughs> okay. Um, life can be a battle, right? Um, now one of the things I uh, I say to myself and I say to other people is just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Don't lay on the canvas. Keep getting up. And I want to I want to ask you this question as we close today. What do you expect? If you're in the middle of a tough season, what do you expect? Do you expect that you and God's plans are just going to whimper out? It's just going to go... And that's it? Do you think that's how it's going to roll? Do you think that eventually the bad stuff's going to get you? Can't stop it? Do you look at your resources and think you can't do it? Do you? Are you flagging? You know, the shines off 2021. Has anyone noticed? As a few of you say, probably say amen to that one. It's like, yeah, no, it probably went about January 2nd. All right? I got one good day in. Are you conservative in what you're engaging with because you're not focused on God's resources, you're too focused on your own resources? Are you too safe? Like you're just busy trying to make things kind of add up with what you can see in front of you? And you don't really think too much about God's capacity being way beyond yours? Are you on the canvas at the moment? And I say this, I, I, I say this lovingly, get up. <laughs> get up. Just get up. There is more help for you. I want you to hear this. This is not just true of the project. This is true of anyone who loves Jesus, which is one of the reasons why if you don't love Jesus, you should love him the best is yet to come. And not just in heaven, Jesus is going to bring the best through all sorts of things. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that the best is yet to come. Do you know something? They tried to take Jesus out. They didn't win. You can't take him out. He was unstoppable. The spirit was on him and he just got about doing so many good things. And even when they killed him, he bounced back up. He bounced back up. And do you know something? With the Spirit, you are unstoppable. Can't be stopped. You, you get in on God's plan and the stuff that He wants you to be doing, I'm not going to stop you. Just won't. Why? Because you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit, you have infinite divine resources to do what God's asked you to do, so get after it.